First Chronicles chapter 29. <clears throat> so in this passage, we're at the end of Chronicle, First Chronicles, and so David's going to die. And uh, King David, of course, he was the king, the premier king, of course, in, uh, in Israel, in the history of Israel. Uh, when Jesus comes back, millennium, he is going to sit on what? The throne of David, right. He is called the son of David, a uh, very significant king. And you know how we David bursts on the scene in the scriptural narrative with, you know, Goliath and, and all that. I mean, from the very beginning, he's, he's really a man of war. It comes to the end of his life, well, not the total end of his life, but as he's coming, as he's winding down, if we could put it that way, he wanted to build something for God beyond the tabernacle originally, and then, you know, he wanted to build what we would call a temple, what the King James calls a temple. He wanted to build a temple. Second Samuel, chapter 7, says this. It came to pass when the king sat in his house, significant, sitting in his house, and the Lord had given him rest roundabout from all his enemies, that the king said unto Nathan the prophet, See, now I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells within curtains, tents, tabernacle, not permanent. And so he, he's, he's sitting in his own house, his own palace, if you will, and he says, you know, this doesn't seem right. How come I've got this permanent stable, you know, all, and, and, and God doesn't, you know. He just, the tabernacle, this movable, temporary um, uh, fixture. God told David, no, you can't do it. But God promised David that his son, Solomon, would do it. And so God told David he could gather the funds, the materials, in order to do that, which is quite interesting. That his prayer that we read tonight was the conclusion of the giving and of the offerings uh, to build the temple. We want to move through that a little bit. Second Samuel chapter 7 here. When thy days be fulfilled... And when thou shalt sleep with thy fathers, I will set up thy seed after thee. That's what God told David. Which shall proceed out of thy bowels, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build an house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. So God allowed David to collect all the things in order to build the temple, or at least to begin that process, and perhaps all of it. Now, if you're in First Chronicles, I would like to take the time tonight to read a little background. If you'd turn to the very first verse of chapter 29, I want to read to you. Now, some of this is a little tedious. Just hang with it, okay? It talks about these different materials, and that can become a little ponderous or tedious. But I want us to get the context of what's happening here. Watch this, verse 1. Furthermore, David the king said unto all the congregation, okay? He's talking to the whole congregation. He gives a speech. He says, Solomon, my son, whom alone God hath chosen, is yet young and tender. Okay, that's compared to David, his father. He wasn't a little infant. He just was without experience. He is yet young and tender, and the work is great, for the palace is not for man, but for the Lord God. Now, David's talking. 
to the congregation. He says, I've prepared with all my might for the house of my God, the gold for things to be made of gold, the silver for things of silver, the brass for things of brass, iron for things of iron, wood for things of wood, onyx stones and stones to be set, glistering stones of diverse colors and all manner of precious stones and marble stones in abundance. Okay? He goes on, moreover, because I have set my affection, okay, he's giving a personal testimony now, because I've set my affection to the house of my God, I have of mine own proper good. Okay, this is not as the king, but his own stores, his own net worth, if you will. I have of mine own proper good of gold and silver, which I have given to the house of my God, over and above all that I have prepared for the holy house. Even, this is his offering, 3,000 talents of gold, of the gold of Ophir, 7,000 talents of refined silver to overlay the walls of the houses with all. The gold for things of gold, the silver for things of silver, for all manner of work to be made by the hands of artificers. And who then, watch this, who then is willing to consecrate his service this day unto the Lord? So he's talking to the congregation and he's saying, okay, this is what we need. This is what I've done. Who's with me? And that word willing used there in verse 5, it appears over and over and over here uh, through, through his prayer. Talking about being willing. Talking about... You know, sometimes, I, I think sometimes we can play some mental gymnastics with ourselves and we think, well, yeah, I'm willing, but I don't want to. No, no. If you're willing, you want to. I'm willing to serve God wherever he wants. Well, then go do it. Right? If, if we don't want to do it, we're not willing. It's about wanting to do it. We play these gymnastics like, well, I know you need to be willing to do whatever. What? That's not enough. It's not just some kind of an emotional, I'm willing, so we get the guilt off us. It's wanting to serve the Lord. I mean, we talk about these tracks, or we talk about bring them in or whatever. Hey, a couple of weeks from now, we're going to go out again, and we'll go out in the Blitz thing. We went out a couple of weeks ago on a Saturday. We, we got, I don't know how many hundreds of houses that we went to, and Armando and Carmen came, and, and Daryl's whole family came, and Angel's whole, whole family came, and Jen and I were there. We had a blast. It was fun. The kids did awesome. The kids are just awesome. I mean, I, I, and there's not too many people that are going to say to a kid, get off my porch. You know, there might be some, you know, there might be some, but we're just, all, we're not even talking to many people. We're just hanging up those door hangers, but you can do that. The gospel is on the back of that. You say, I can't walk for an hour and a half. Well, you can walk 10 minutes, 30 minutes. Whatever you can do is fine, just so you know. But I hope that you'll, you'll help us with that. We need, to, we, need to, we need to be doing that. Okay, so we're back over to verse 5 where it says, who then is willing to consecrate his service to the stand of the Lord? Watch verse 6. Then... The chief of the fathers and princes of the tribes of Israel and the captains of thousands and of hundreds with the rulers of the king's work offered willingly. What did they do? What do you mean they offered willingly? It says, and gave for the service of the house of God of gold 5,000 talents and 10,000 drams and of silver 10,000 talents and of brass 18,000 talents and 100,000 talents of iron. And they with whom precious stones were found gave them to the treasure of the house of the Lord by the hand of Jael the Gershonite. Then, watch this. Then, not till then, but then, having done this, the people rejoiced. <laughs> they rejoiced. Why? Because it is true, whether we like it or not, agree with it or not, believe it or not, it is true that it is truly more blessed to give than to receive. But you have to give before you find that out. Then the people rejoiced for that they offered willingly. Because with perfect heart they offered willingly to the Lord. And David the king also rejoiced with great joy. That brings us to the prayer, verse 10. Wherefore, David blessed the Lord before all the congregation. And David said, blessed be thou. It's a prayer. He's talking to the Lord. Now, I would like to work through the prayer with us tonight with the idea that we can just 
ask the Spirit of God to use his word in our own hearts just, just, to, just to help us go take the next step, go to the next level, however you want to say it. But, but really the focus here, we could say heart, which is good. Values, it's good. But what I want to do in this text is to observe how the giving was so God-centered. In other words, it wasn't money-centered. We say money or material things. It wasn't people-centered. It wasn't like, um, like a pledge or something like that. It was God-centered. We're going we're to look at this. And you can tell it because of how he prayed. You have three simple points, but the third point has a bunch of subpoints. So we'll make our way through this. Look at Roman number one. Remember what God owns. What, before I read it, and our brother already did, but think about it. What exactly does God own anyway? And I think we can be really good with these mental gymnastics and, 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 and playing around with things. But what, really, what does God own? And maybe a better question, easier. What does God not own? Look at verse 11. After David began to pray and said, Blessed be thou, Lord God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. He said, Thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. Why? For all that is in the heaven and in the earth is thine. Thine is the kingdom, O Lord, and thou art exalted as head above all. Now, let me, let me just say this. You know him, man. You know him. This is our God. This is the one we serve. This is the one that we love. This is the one who owns everything. He owns everything. There's nothing he doesn't own. There's nothing God can't take from any of us any moment he wishes. He can take our life. He could take our house. He could take our job. He could take our marriage. He could take our health. Anytime he wants, God can take anything because it's all his. And when we believe the Bible and we seek to practice it and we, we seek to practice humbling ourselves before him, it really is not very difficult intellectually to stop and say, well, that's kind of duh. Of course God owns everything. I mean, if there's a God and if he made everything and if he sustains everything, then of course it's all his. God owns Everything. So remember what God owns. This text says God owns greatness, power, glory, victory, and majesty. God owns all that is in the heaven. The verse says God owns all that is in the earth. And brother and sister, this is a prayer. You and I can pray this prayer, and it is a very good way to start praying. You wake up tomorrow morning or before you go to bed tonight or sometime, you're going to have a little time of prayer. Open your Bible to 1 Chronicles chapter 29 and don't just read the Bible. Pray. You can do that. We can do that. We don't have to reinvent the wheel. We can talk to God from our hearts about the Word of God. You and I can pray and say, Oh God, yours is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. We could take time with each of those five words, each of those five words. I mean, that could be five-point sermon. That could be five sermons. The greatness, the power, the glory, the victory, the majesty of God. For all that is in the heaven and the earth is thine. Thine is the kingdom, O Lord. This is the king talking. This is the king talking. This kingdom is yours. I'm not the king. I'm just your servant here. I'm just a steward. Just for a period of time. In fact, I'm kind of winding down. I'm going to die. Yours is the kingdom. This is your house, dear God, right? This is your car, dear Lord. This is your body, dear Lord. I give it back to you. It's yours. Yeah, that's the idea. 
Remember what God owns. Exodus tells us, all the earth is mine. Deuteronomy says, behold, the heaven and the heaven of heavens is the Lord's thy God. Psalm 24, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world, and they that dwell therein. I mean, when the Bible says the earth is the Lord's and they that dwell therein, it's talking about us. It's talking about everybody. We belong to God. Everybody does. The silver is mine, Haggai says. God said, but Haggai records. The silver is mine. The gold is mine, saith the Lord of hosts. Ezekiel tells us, behold, all souls are mine. First Corinthians chapter 6 tells us, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. But not only does God own everything, but isn't it interesting that verse 11 concludes this prayer, this particular sentence of prayer, after talking about all that God owns, King David says, And God, O Lord, thou art exalted as head above all. Don't you wish we could have a president that would say that? Amen! Don't you wish we could have a president to say that? Don't you want to have a family that says that? Don't you want to have a heart that says that? Lord, you are king over all. It's all yours. Everything I've got, it's yours. I know that. I know that. I'm just a steward. Rather than just trying to accumulate, somehow thinking we own it. We don't own it. I mean, I, I know we do in an earthly sense. But ultimately, it all belongs to God. What can we give that God has not first given us? That's a, that's a good way to think about it. What, what really can I give? Oh, I've been very generous. Wonderful. But when we think we've been generous, we're either comparing ourselves with what we could have done or what we have done in the past or what we think someone else is doing, but we are not. If we say we're generous, we are not comparing ourselves with God. We're, none of us are generous compared to God. Right? We understand. What do we have that God has not given us, that God did not first give us? He owns everything. But though God owns everything, here, here's the thing about who God is. God owns everything, but he is not a stingy miser. We've probably all seen Christmas time, you know, the Christmas carol, and notorious Ebenezer Scrooge, this grouchy man, you know, won't let Tiny Tim's dad even have Christmas off with, whatever, whatever, whatever episode you watched or whatever version of it. But, um, and you know, the whole thing opens up, I think, is, is the, or the narrative, the film, the movie begins, and yeah, he's just counting his money, you know, and you know, don't put any more coal on that fire. <laughs> Why? It costs money, right? You know, and on and on. You, okay, so, so I expect you want the whole day off tomorrow. <laughs> I mean, we just read about, I wonder if it stood out to you, we just read about in Russia, they have, five, what was it, four to five or five to six weeks off every year. How about that? Some of you thought, oh, I want to go to Russia. Go ahead. You come running back, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Though God owns everything, he is not a stingy miser. Verse 11, remember what God owns. What's verse 12? I'd like to read it to you. If you were writing this sermon, what would you say? 
If we're trying to make something parallel, God-centered about giving, if verse 11 is about what God owns, what is verse 12? Verse 12, watch this. Both riches and honor come of thee, and thou reignest over all. And in thine hour... Thine hand is power and might, and in thine hand it is to make great and to give strength unto all. Verse 11 is what God owns. Verse 12 is what God gives. Verse 12 is what God gives. There's four very specific and undeserved gifts that are listed here. Did you see them? Look, look verse 12. Four things. Riches, honor, at the end, great, to be made great, strength, all come from God. Sometimes when we're really healthy and we're strong and all is well and get a job and the bills are paid and that sort of thing, we can kind of go easy on the prayer time. Nothing like having a nice car wreck. Nothing like getting really sick. Nothing like losing a job to really storm the battlements of heaven and say, God, you got to help me. That comes from God. God is the one at work in our lives. God gives riches, verse 12 says. God is the one who gives them. If we have it, God made it, and God gave it to us. Say, well, not me, man. I work hard. Of course you do. Praise the Lord. That's how you get it, because God enables you to work hard. If you don't think so, just get sick. You all work hard, right? Just, just let the boss say, you know, we're downsizing. Don't need you anymore. God is the one who gives us power to get wealth, the scripture says. Riches, they come of, of the Lord. How about honor? Riches and honor. Honor, that is more valuable than riches, or it ought to be. It's, it's, it's not really very common in our culture to think that. And a president, years ago, I remember Bob Dole ran against, I'll just say Mr. Clinton, in his midterm election. Bob Dole, I mean, uh, I couldn't even use, what hand was it, I forget, from war, war injury and that sort of thing. Old timey senator, long, long past now, but I remember he, and I'm dating myself, of course, but if you're all my age, you might remember where Bob Dole campaigned. He had the presidential, the Republican nomination, as I recall correctly, but he, he used to say this, where is the outrage? Where is the outrage? Doesn't character matter? Where is the outrage? This man has done what he's done in the Oval Office? What? What, where, where is the outrage here? That's the opposite of honor. Does character matter? Well, God is the one who gives us good character. Honor is more valuable than riches. It's this idea of well-deserved approval and affirmation. It's not trying to get ahead using any tactic available and deceit and treachery and stepping on people. No, no, it is, it is being filled with the Spirit of God and, and living out by God's grace the, the fruit of the Spirit and living for others and living for God and not living for ourselves and not trying to get ahead and not groveling to get everything that we can and to keep it all. It's, it's not that. Honor. And God gives greatness. In thine hand, come of thee, thou reignest over all. In thine hand is power and might, and in thine hand it is to make great. This is this noble and godly character, the largest of heart, the compassion, the benevolence, and finally God gives strength in that verse. That's the opposite of weakness and defeat and despair and ungodliness. As God's children, listen, we go through difficult times and we go through heartaches and we go through problems, but God will give us greatness 
we may not, we may not perceive it as greatness. Listen, listen. You're in this building tonight for all eternity. You will not regret that you were in church on Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. You'll not regret that. We get to heaven, it's going to be like, what was I thinking? I thought a Sunday morning was enough. <laughs> it is enough. It's all you want. We don't have to go to church. We don't even have to pay taxes. We really don't even have to breathe. Just get some duct tape. You'll stop breathing. Put it over your nose and your mouth, you know. Right? Anyway, let's not, let's not be so juvenile as to think, well, why do I have to? Why do I have to? We've got the word of the living God. God tells us that this word is living and active, life-changing. But we can ignore it and, and not, not good. Yeah, God gives strength. Verse 13. He concludes after talking about what God owns and what God gives, riches, honor, greatness, strength. He says, now therefore our God, we thank thee and praise thy glorious name. He doesn't, he doesn't talk about himself, that's precious. He doesn't somehow talk about, about his greatness or his honor or his virtue or his riches. No, no, no. no he, takes, he takes all that he is. He's the king. He takes all that he is and all that he has and, and all, that he, all the power that he has, all the authority that he has, and he lays it on the altar, so to speak. And He says, we thank thee and praise thy glorious name. What do we have that God has not given us? I already said that. We don't have anything that God didn't give us. He gives us everything we have. So since God owns all, and God gives everything we have. Now listen, listen, listen to this question, please. Since God owns all, and everything we have is a gift from God, can we really give anything to God? I mean, if it's all God's, how can we give him something? I think it can really help us if we think about that. How can we really give something to God? How can we give an offering? How can we gift? How can we give to God if it's all his anyway? Well, that brings us to the last point. Remember what God owns. Remember what God gives. And then the remaining verses of this prayer that was read, remember what God receives. Look at verse 14. Don't you love this king who says, who am I? What is my people that we should be able to offer so willingly after this sort? For all things come of thee, and of thine own have we given thee. Who am I? What is my people? How is it that we can give? God receives what we give. You see, this, this is David's prayer. But this is God's word. This is not just some hocus-pocus preacher talk. He's saying, wow, who am I? He doesn't say, okay, hey, remember how much I gave, you know, gold and silver, and right? He doesn't say that. He says, everything is yours. You own it all. Everything I've ever had, you gave me. Who am I that I can give to you? Why does God let us give? Because it's more blessed to give than to receive. 
because he wants us to have the blessing of giving. He wants us to be like him instead of building bigger barns, but rather giving to him. You know, maybe, maybe some of us somewhere along the line could stop and say, you know, <clears throat> I, I don't need all these cars. Maybe somewhere along the line we could say, you know, instead of buying a brand new car, I, you know, I think, why don't, we, why don't we buy an old clunker? Or maybe not an old clunker, you want something reliable, but, you know, why, why, why give the dealers all this money that, that, that boom, the moment you drive off the, 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 uh, the lot, it's just depreciated because it's, now it's secondhand, even though it's only got three miles on it. <laughs> uh, well, well what, if, what if somewhere along the line we said, you know, hey, love this house, love this house, oh man, brought up our kids here, or whatever, we, you know, just love the neighborhood and all that, but, yeah, but you know, you know, I, why don't we sell this house? And, and, and move into something that's more manageable, we're downsize, and get rid of some of our junk, and, and, and we'll live there. And, uh, you know, I'm not saying give all the money to the Lord, you do it as God leads, but, 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 but maybe we don't have to heat so much. Maybe we don't have to pay so many taxes. Maybe we, don't. We, we can think like that, brothers and sisters. We can think like that. We can give to the Lord. We can have more to give. We can do that with our time, too. We, where, we, where we shrink things down and say, wait, 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 I don't need to be doing all that and that and that and that and that. You know, I, I don't have time to go to the senior brunch. I don't have time to go table games. I don't have time to go out blitzing. I don't have time to... I, I get it. I get it. I'm, I'm busy. Oh, yeah, but you get paid to do this. <laughs> uh, maybe. I don't know what people think. We, we can shrink things back. We do not have to follow the drummer who's beating us to death. We can shrink it down. God receives what we give. Look at verse 14. God receives what we give willingly. Over and over and over. Verse 6 talks about giving willingly. Verse 9, twice, talks about giving willingly. Verse 14, giving willingly. Verse 17, twice, talks about giving willingly. Six times, God receives what we give, and God receives what we give willingly. In verse 14, God receives what we give generously. Where do you get that from? Look at what it says in verse 14. Who am I and what is my people that we should be able to offer so willingly after this sort? It's not just that we gave willingly, it's after this sort, in this way. It's, uh, how, how is it that you gave us all this? How is, it, how is it that we can give all of this and we still haven't given all that we have? Like the widow did. How can that be? How, how can it be? How can it be that, 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 that uh, many of us could sit down and write out a check? What would the amount have to be? Write out a check and never feel it. Never change our lives. Write out a check for $50 or $500 or $1,000 or maybe even $5,000 or maybe even much more. They could just write out. Well, yeah, but what about retirement? What about when I'm You better put your faith in Jesus Christ, not the stock market. And all people can say amen to that. You better put it in the Lord. Listen, you, 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 you need long-term care. You lose your mind. You lose your... Uh, come on, man. Our faith is in the Lord. We sing it. My hope is in my bank account. It will endure forever. No, it won't. No, it won't. It really won't. It really won't. It really won't. 
God's been so very good to us. God receives what we give. God receives what we give willingly, what we give generously. Hey, a talent. You know, this thing, verse, verse 7 in our chapter talks about these talents gave for the service of the house of gold. 5,000 talents and 10,000 drams. Silver, 10,000 talents. Hey, you know what that amounts to? Uh, one talent is around 75 pounds. So they gave 100, and this is not David. This is the others. 187 tons of gold. What in the world is a ton of gold? I mean, I can't even imagine 10 pounds of gold. What's a ton of gold? What is 187 tons of gold, 375 tons of silver, 675 tons of brass, 3,750 tons of iron? I mean, how much gold do we have? Your wedding ring and mine, probably. That's it, right? I mean, we're, I mean, we're really just about like that, you know? I mean, why? I don't... I, by the way, you take good care of us. I very good care of us. We're not. I don't. Don't. Okay. Anyway, look at this. All this in verse fourteen. God receives what we give. God receives what we give willingly. God receives what we give generously. Here's something else. God receives. God receives when we affirm His ownership. All things come of Thee. Of Thine own have we given. Who am I, Lord? Who Who in the world am I? Let's pray that prayer. Let's talk to God and say, God, who am I? What is my family that we should be able to offer so willingly like this after this sort? For all things come of thee. Of thine own have we given thee. We move on to verse 15. God receives when we know our weakness. <laughs> Did you notice what it says in verse 15? He says, we are strangers before thee and sojourners as were all our fathers. Watch this. Our days on the earth are as a Shadow. Poof. How stable is a shadow? How lasting is a shadow? A shadow. Hey, gang, we can pray that prayer. It'll do us good if we believe that. We remember that. God is, God is not giving this to us to hurt us. He's given this to us to help us. Our life is like a shadow. Just... Just a shadow. That'd be a good sermon text for a funeral. And somebody's sitting, not sitting, right here in the box. Their life is but a shadow. One day I'm going to be in the box. Unless the Lord comes back. Or I get eaten by a fish or something like that, burned up, whatever, you know. Yeah, I don't mean to be gross, but yeah, I mean, one day we're going to be in the box. And it's just the way it is. Right now we've got stuff we can give. <laughs> we can give, can't give them. It's awesome. David got it. He got it. He got it. He said, Our days on the earth are as a shadow, and there is none abiding. The idea is there's none that will live on this planet forever. None remain, none stay, none abide. And God receives. When we know our weakness, verse 16, God receives what we give to his work. O oh Lord, our God, all this store that we have prepared to build thee an house for thine holy name cometh of thine hand and is all thine own. <laughs> yes. We, we, we gave this to build a house for your name. It came of your hand. It's all your own. It was your, yours before we had it. It was yours while we had it. 
It's yours now that we gave it. It's just yours. It's all yours. It's all yours. It's all yours. I preached a sermon one time years ago. God owns, we owe. And this is pretty simple. That's really true. And then we give, God receives our offerings, our gifts. We are able to give to God. Uh, if God owns everything, and if God gives us everything that we have, how, how can we ever really give anything to God anyway? That's all these seven points are about. Because God receives as a gift from us when we give from an upright heart. Verse 17 is the final point there. I know also, my God, that thou triest the heart and hast pleasure in uprightness. As for me, don't know about everybody, but as for me, in the uprightness of my heart, I have willingly offered all these things. Now, wow, and now have I seen with joy thy people which are present here to offer willingly unto thee. You try the heart. I've done this in the uprightness of my heart. Twice in that one verse, he talks about heart, his own heart, and how God blesses when we, and that, that he tries the heart and he blesses when we give in the uprightness of our hearts. God owns everything that we have and God gave us everything we have. Would you look at verse 9? We read it a moment ago. Then the people rejoiced for that they offered willingly because with perfect heart they offered willingly to the Lord. David the king also, watch, rejoiced with great joy. He was so proud of his people. Verse 17 says something very similar. Now have I seen with joy thy people. The Bible indicates to us that if we want real joy, we have to stop thinking about what we want. That's, that's not easy in our culture. I mean, you can't drive down the road without seeing advertisements. You, you can't drive down the road without smelling French fries being pumped into the air <laughs> or whatever. Food. I just want some food, you know. I, whatever. Uh, whatever. I, any material possession. You can't, I mean, you can't read the newspaper. You can't, you can't get online. You can't get anywhere without advertising. Buy me, buy me, buy me, buy me, buy me. Right? And we can fall prey. And be trapped and give in to being targeted by Satan to allow our minds somehow to not arrest this wanter that God calls covetousness, this wanter that God calls lusting and that sort of thing, and, and being discontent all the time. We, we, can fall, we, we can fall into that trap, as even as God's children fall into that trap <clears throat> and find that we just feel like we can't give. Because we're broke. Because we just wanted and wanted and wanted and wanted and wanted. And we got and we got and we got and we got. And now I have a car and, and, and it's not worth much and I still all have to pay on it for three years. That happens all the time. It's all the time. We're nuts if we do that. That's our culture. Why does our culture do that? Because that's what the government does. just keeps on printing more money. I just go deeper in debt. It's a house of cards. When it's going to fall, I don't have any idea, but it's going to fall. I hope it's not in my lifetime, my kids' lifetime, my grandkids' lifetime, my great-grandkids' lifetime. <laughs> We're a debtor nation. Amazing. But look at verse 18, and I'll be done. O oh Lord God 
of Abraham, Isaac, and of Israel, our fathers, the patriarchs. Here's his prayer. Keep this, O God, forever in the imagination of the thoughts of the heart of thy people and prepare their heart unto thee. I'll just tell you as a pastor, that is so precious to me. He said, oh God, oh God, it's not just that they gave. It's, it's, it's God. Keep this in the imagination of their hearts. Help them to love you and to love giving and, and, and to be all that you want us to be. The prayer was, Lord, Lord, help all the people to never forget this. To never forget their heart for God. To never forget we have a heart for God and we not only give, but we want to give. And we have great joy and we're rejoicing because we gave. So, amen. Let's stand and we'll pray.